We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to A Taste of Romamu, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Romamu, please visit romumu.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. As someone pointed out every year, we point this out, that somehow whoever edited the Eitz Chaim, the, the red prayer, the red Chumash, the red Bible put out by the conservative movement, lined up page 127 with the Parsha that has the number 127 as its beginning, right? Sarah lives 127 years, and of course, it's page 127. Coincidence? I think not. Those sneaky, you know, USCJ love that about them. Not have noticed that. I did notice that. It's great, great. Okay, here we go. For those of you who have never been to Rome before, you might, um, it might aid you to know that we'll be reading three aliyot. The first one will be a group aliyah, meaning we'll learn a little bit about, about the meaning of the verses that will be chanted, and then anyone and everyone is invited, or no one, to come forward for the blessing that is appended to and called from the reading and from our collective wisdom and teaching around the verses. We'll be reading chapter 23, the, book, uh, the beginning of what is known as Parshat Chayi Sarah, the story of Sarah's uh, internment and Abraham's securing for Sarah, the matriarch, a place for her to, to be buried. Vayu Chayi Sarah me'ashana Chapter 23 begins with the strange phrase, the strange 12 words. And these were the years, or this was the lifespan of Sarah, Chaye Sarah. 100 years, 20 years, and 7 years. These were the years of Sarah's life. We don't really have any story behind Sarah's death. We don't have any appended lead up to it. It comes very abruptly, seemingly out of nowhere. We're not told that she finished her work or didn't finish or did finish her work or didn't finish her work. We're not told anything about the end of her life. In fact, there's nothing at all the signal that Sarah would be leaving the scene from last week's Torah portion, from the end of chapter 22 known as the Akedah. The end of the Akedah just tells us that Abraham comes down the mountain without his son. Presumably, um, this is a relief for everyone that they came down the mountain. Uh, there is a proliferation of births in Abraham's extended family that ends chapter 22, including a foreshadowing of Rebecca, who will become Isaac's wife in this week's Torah portion, chapter 24. She's just born. Maybe that's an illusion. Maybe that is the signal to the reader. In other words, in a particular valence of Sarah's life, part of her life, of course, is to give birth to Isaac, right? Again, reductionist and highly misogynist and sexist and all of that. But within the biblical context, that is the understanding of the biblical author to some degree. Part of Sarah's life's purpose was very much in seeing 
Isaac safely through to the other side. And with Isaac's being saved, as it were, in chapter 22, he doesn't actually be, he's not actually sacrificed. And with the birth of Rebecca, now Sarah's life is complete and in some way she leaves the scene. But certainly that's not the way the rabbis understood the connection. The rabbis read, as we talked about in the open book this morning, the rabbis read a tremendous amount into the interstice, into the white space between the end of chapter 22 and the beginning of chapter 23. They imagine all manner of things that might have been the contributing factor to Sarah's demise, Sarah's death, including the death of Isaac, almost. The rabbinic trope, there's a rabbinic story, of course. The Midrash says that Satan came to Sarah to let her know that uh, what, about what Abraham was doing behind her back. And when he told Sarah, he told her in a way, says the Midrash, the rabbi's own imagination, he told her in a way that so terrified her that she died. How did he tell her? He told her by saying, your son Isaac was killed, almost. And in the space between hearing was killed and almost, Sarah passed away. The rabbinic gloss on this. That somehow the way that we tell a story matters. The way that we tell a story, the way that we imagine the listener hearing our story matters. Very, very intense. And the focus, of course, there also moves from Sarah just passing away to Sarah and the unfinished business between Sarah and Abraham. The unfinished business between Sarah and Abraham. The unfinished business between Sarah and Abraham. Because, of course, Sarah's demise and the non-communication between Sarah and Abraham around the Akedah, all of the things that happened in chapter 22 are brought into such intense relief in chapter 23. You don't have to go much further than the end of verse 2. Let's look at verse 2 together. Vatamat Sarah and Sarah dies. Where? Bekiryat Arba. Hi Chevron Be'eretz Kenan. In a place called Kiryat Arba, which is also known as Hebron, which is in the land of Canaan. Vayavo Avraham Lispod Lisarah Velif Kota. And Abraham comes to eulogize Sarah and to cry over her. Where was Abraham? Where, where was Abraham? Vayavo Abraham lispod the Sarah v'liv kota. Hi. Where was Abraham? This is the point where it's no longer rhetorical. I'm actually, I'm waiting. So... <laughs> Where was Abraham? Does anybody know? He was what? Oh, he was busy sacrificing Sarah's child, the one that she had when she was 90 years old. Yeah. Okay, that's where he was? Okay. Where was Abraham? Sharon, where was Abraham? So Abraham was just like, he, was, he isolated himself because he thought, you know, I can't face my wife. He couldn't face her. So there's Sharon's Midrash, because that's certainly not in the text. He couldn't face his own wife. He was so full of remorse and shame for what he had done in your Midrash, that 
at the moment when she needed him the most, he was absent. She dies and he has to come from someplace. He has to come from afar. Where was Abraham? Yeah. He was sleeping on the couch. He was in the doghouse because he had told her and not, he was not avoiding her, but she was avoiding him. Right? Stay on the couch, Abraham. This, you know, you're gonna, you'll find out about my demise when you find out. Okay? Vayavo Abraham. And Abraham came. Where did Abraham come from? Robin. Doesn't matter where he came from. So Robin really is worried about Abraham's reputation here for a moment. No, I want to lift, you want to lift up. It doesn't matter where he came from because ultimately he was redeemable because no matter where he came from, what he did in the end was redeemable. He publicly grieved. So Abraham is exactly where he needs to be. Forget about where he, like the verse says, he came from somewhere. What really matters is, Abraham, okay, he came. Right? Showing up at a moment like this, irrespective of what... Right? So you're saying he didn't miss the moment, the moment was this moment, and that even to this level... Okay, but I, I'm with you, Robin. I'm not trying... Hey, Robin, let, let me get this straight. I'm just trying to lift up your Torah and try to understand you, so let me again. So you're saying that it doesn't really... It, my question is really not the question, and I appreciate that. That's your Torah. It's great. So your teaching is, that's not the question. The question is, here's a moment. Show up. And Avram does. Right? And many people miss many moments and then miss the most important, which is the present moment, thinking about the moment that they missed yesterday. So forget about you should have been there, could have been, would have, you show up. He shows up. He buries his wife. He cries publicly and models for the rest of us. It's the first place in Torah where crying occurs for a loved one. Right? Avram cries for his wife, whom he laughed at earlier. He laughed at her ability to be present and to show up as the mother that she was, but she did and she succeeded, and he comes to honor her, and that's what matters. That's Robin's Torah. Will. Right, so I was waiting for you to get there. So, Will, so thank you. So Will is saying, listen, the, we know the last known location of Avram in the text is Be'er Sheva, a place called Be'er Sheva. That's what Rashi brings, and Midrash says, that's where he was. One second. Be'er Sheva. So Be'er Sheva is where Avraham was, and Be'er Sheva is, is not a short distance from Hebron, right? So essentially, Avraham is off on a mission, which he always was. He was always on a mission. He was always on a mission from God. God was always telling him to go somewhere. That's what we know about Avraham Vinu. Abraham, our patriarchal figure, was always Nava Nad Ba'aretz. He was Haloch V'Nasoa Negba. He was running a tracht and a this and a that. He was Mr. Ambition. Right? He was in the God Inc. business. He was everywhere but home. You know, when are you coming home, son? I don't know when. Cat Stevens wrote the song about Avraham. Right? I don't know where you're going to... Like, when are you coming home, son? I don't know when, but we'll get, we'll get together then soon. And so here at this moment, Vayavo Avraham in Will's reading is a highlighting of Avraham's non-presence in his life for those whom he really needed to be there for. Right? And this reading, again, very different from Robin's reading, we're back to a moment of, of, of the Torah teaching us something, not by, you know, often it does this, not by how our actors act, but how they should have acted. And in this reading, which is a very strong current, by the way, a very, very strong current in modern literature of, of Avram and his relationship with Sarah, and was brought out in this morning's open book by Rabbi Elise Frischman, right? The redemption of the family is in Sarah's hands. The redemption of the vision and the dream is in Abraham's hands. And now Abraham comes to cry, she said, and I'm hearing this too, 
for Avram's realization, albeit maybe a little bit too late, that were it not for Sarah, there would be nothing. Were it not for Sarah, that he had not been there for Sarah in the way that he could and should have been. I have to move on. I'm sorry. Move on. It's very, very beautiful. Does everybody know your name? Jacob. So Jacob said that if we think about Sarah as the one through whom, through her womb, as it were, we have a future in the Jewish, in the, in the biblical tradition. And through her burial, we also have a tomb. Right? So she births both our future of life and also the future of the rebirth and, right, of the Jewish people. Because it was in this space, as it were, that there is sacred memory and sacred archetypal DNA, as it were, that is ensconced and entombed in Maratha Machpelah and that she becomes the figure of both life, death, life, death, life, death, life, death, and that actually is borne out very beautifully in the name of this week's Parsha, which of course is the life of Sarah, but it really is about her death. So even in her death, she's also providing a place for vitality for the future. So I want to bring us to a different place slightly and then call us up, those who want to come this morning, to be standing with Torah for, this, for these three verses that will be read. Um, I very much resonated with what Will said. It very much speaks to um, a place that I find myself personally and, and I, I witness often in, in others, which is the sense, um, and in this I also want to say that Robert is not far, but I want to maybe try to bring both of these together, which is that there's an awakening to be present for the ones whom we are closest to that is so poignant in this text, right? He comes from afar, he comes from a mission, he comes from something, but he shows up, he cries, he's grieving, he does what needs to be done, he does what is most important at this moment, which is, finds a way to bury Sarah Imenu. And there's also the piece here of him being away from the center of activity because of what has taken him so far afield. There's a kind of coming home here, a coming home to Sarah, coming home to where things began. The two of them were the ones that set out in chapter 12 from Haran together without children. And now he comes back to bury her. I think there's a very poignant moment here for all of us about what it is to remember what's most important before it's too late. To remember what's most important before it's too late. And I get that we never know that. Right? Eitan Agai, a member of our community who is now in Eretz Israel, in, in Israel, he might even be watching right now, who lost his mother this week. And essentially, he was on his way to Israel anyway. He was going to get there next week. But, but he, he had to move his trip back because she passed away a week earlier than he had been planning. And of course, right, he'd already been planning it, and, and I'm not saying he's this person. Eitan very much loves his mother and is very present with his mother. But there is a kind of, there is a kind of reminder of the text that Avraham might have been better served had he been home at this moment than away. And so I just wanted to call forward for this Aliyah, those who are choosing to stay home rather than go far away. Those who are choosing to stay, in a sense, connected with the things locally, in whatever valence that means something for you, to stay close to the center of things so that you might not be caught far away from where you need to be, um, I mean that on so many levels. I hope that those who are from that might be meaningful hear it on that level. If that speaks to you, or if anything else that we said speaks to you and you'd like to stand this morning with Torah, please open up, stand up, and come forward to the Torah 
for the first Aliyah this morning. 